Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast, a brief to weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melitzis. I'm here with Kerry Aleveld. And today we're going to keep talking about the Grand Republican crack up. It is the absolute shit show on their side. And Carrie, uh, this is th- this episode and our guests this episode were your idea. And so let, let's you can tell us who the guest is and yeah. uh, and uh, and why you thought it was a you know good idea to have him on to talk about this topic. Well, we're having on and I hope God, I hope I'm not slaughtering his name, but we're having on Aaron Rupar. OK, he's yeah. going to come on in a second. I he can tell him. me if I get it wrong. No, you got uh, it. But I, I don't know him personally. I just follow him on Twitter. Um, he's a real person. He's not a bot. He, he he listens. The thing is, is that I cover the Republican Party all of the time. Right. I'm, try, I'm most of the time. I'm basically covering the field, the infighting between, you know, the Senate Republicans and Trump and the Senate Republicans and themselves, the Senate Republicans and the House Republicans, all of these like divisions, you know, in the in the party that are really causing them major electoral trouble. The donors, the grassroots activists, the MAGA voters, you know, all these divisions. Right. I do not listen to like every, you know, crazy Trump rally. I do not listen to all the Fox News stuff. You know, I I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I follow people on Twitter and whatever who do. I hear clips that I would never have seen without them. Um, I cover things because I see things, for instance, on Aaron's uh, Twitter feed. And I say, oh, my God, that's crazy. I've got to cover this. So what we're doing is we're bringing in Aaron because Aaron basically, you know, drinks this stuff in 24 seven. And, and we want to hear just how bad it really is because as much as, you know, what's interesting. Okay. Actually let's bring him on. And then let me say something that's interesting. Uh, All right. So Aaron Rupert is an independent journalist, publisher of the public notice newsletter on Substack. He covers U.S. media and politics, but really covers the (laughs) craziness of the Republican party. He is, you can find him at Twitter at AT Rupar. R-U-P-A-R. And uh, <laughs> once you're once you once you subscribe to once you follow his Twitter account, it's it's addictive. I can't I can't deny that. He is also now podcasting and he is you can find him at the Aaron Rupert show, which I didn't know you did, Aaron. And I'm excited to subscribe and, and listen to your podcast because your work is Thank freaking you. brilliant. Appreciate Carrie's it. idea to bring you on. It was inspired. So happy to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having so, me. Yeah, go ahead. Let- Let me just so let me just intro a question to you by saying that, you know, the trap that the media fell into last in in 2016 was to cover every stinking thing that uh, Donald Trump said. Right. I mean, you know, it's wall to wall coverage of all of his, um, you know, all of his uh, uh, rallies and, you know, finding tracking down all his voters and all this stuff. Right. Okay, so I feel like. This cycle is both similar and different. And and in the sense that Trump still gets dominant media coverage, you know, obviously he's now the first former president to be indicted, uh, criminally indicted. Um, He's probably more criminal indictments to come. Right. So that so so when that happens, all the other Republicans get completely sidelined because he is just totally dominating the news cycle. That said, he's not getting like his rallies aren't getting wall to wall coverage in the same way. So I feel like what 
people are, they're still getting a ton of Trump coverage. I just don't think they're getting how crazy the stuff is the way they were the first time around. Mm. And, and that's the, how crazy the stuff is, is actually why Democrats won 2018, won 2020 and did phenomenally better in 2022 than most, uh, you know, traditional media analysts suspect expected. So Aaron, this is why we bring you on, not just to talk about Trump, but to talk about all the crazy that we see in the Republican party. So you can just tell us how bad it really is. Sure. And yeah, Carrie, you make a great point. And um, the thing that I would remind people of in 2020 was, you know, one of the really damaging things for Trump was when he had to debate Joe Biden and everybody could kind of see the crazy for themselves. I mean, we remember the first debate where Trump was ranting and raving. And then we learned later that he probably had COVID during that. You know, he looked kind of sickly and um, that did not help him at all. And I think you're right. You know, um, when you contacted me to do this podcast and I flagged a couple clips that have been on my radar. One of them was Trump's speech from last Friday to the NRA convention in Indianapolis, which was basically the same the same sort of speech that he does at his rallies, um, very lengthy, a lot of ranting and raving. And I noticed it was John Whitehouse, who I believe is with Media Matters, who a couple days later flagged a 30-second clip from the ABC Nightly News that evening where, you know, they purported to cover Trump's speech to the NRA, but it was really just like a 15-second sanitized soundbite of Trump basically saying that, you know, um, he's against gun control and, you know, some other kind of boilerplate, uh, you know, like a sentence or two from the speech. And um, his point, which was, you know, kind of reinforcing yours, is that um, it almost does viewers an injustice to cover it in that way because you're really not capturing the crazy. You're kind of sanitizing it, watering it down and actually presenting Trump in a light that um, doesn't really reflect the truth of what he's campaigning on, what he's saying, who he is at this point politically. And so, yeah, I mean, that is challenging. I mean, certainly when um, when Trump went to Manhattan a couple of weeks ago to be processed ahead of his arraignment, um, the wall to wall coverage on cable news was kind of nauseating. And, you know, I get why that happened. But, you know, you had coverage of him, him leaving Mar-a-Lago to go to the Palm Beach airport and then flying into Manhattan. Then they had a helicopter covering his drive from the, you know, LaGuardia into downtown Manhattan at, uh, you know, where Trump Tower is. And it did give me some flashbacks to 2016 and, you know, coverage of his empty lectern that kind of took the place of covering major Hillary Clinton speeches and things like that. But, you know, I will say that I thought some lessons were learned in 2020. I thought, you know, very broadly speaking, that major outlets got better at calling Trump's lies for what they are and, you know, got better at kind of dismissing a lot of his nonsense, not taking everything that he says credulously. And so, you know, hopefully there is continued progress now that we're amid the third presidential run of his. Um, but certainly, you know, again, the, the, the coverage of his indictment um, as unprecedented as obviously that is in, in warranting of some degree of coverage did give me some concern that with a net network like CNN, who's kind of hungry for ratings these days, that um, we know that Trump is good for ratings and we'll see how they respond to that incentive structure. Yeah. Hey, the, should we should we roll that clip? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, the clip that I flagged for you is actually Wayne LaPierre uh, speaking okay. before Trump. But I think it kind of spoke to some of the menace that, you know, um, that you, that was palpable during this NRA convention. How many billionaires, TikTok stars or Hollywood airheads they've got? Hear this. Gun hating politicians should never go to bed unafraid of what this association and all of our millions of members can do to their political careers. 
because you fight like hell for freedom and you get more of it one member at a time. Yeah. And, you know, the reason that I flagged that is because I think there's kind of a temptation to dismiss comments like that as representing a sort of fringe viewpoint, um, especially as we reel as a country from mass shooting to school shooting to mass shooting and back again. But, you know, Trump headlined that event. Ron DeSantis did a video message there. Basically, every Republican presidential hopeful uh, spoke in some form. Nikki Haley did a video address. Chris Sununu was on stage there. Mike Pence was on stage there. And so, you know, the point that I was trying to make by kind of flaking that for everyone is that that is still, you know, the mainstream of the Republican Party. And obviously, LaPierre's comments, you know, he, he works in some plausible deniability where he makes sure to mention that, you know, politicians should go to bed afraid of what you know we can do to them electorally or something like that. You know, there's always kind of that next clause that that creates some plausible deniability. And Trump is good at that, too. But, you know, this is what the Republican Party is. And so when you see like the ABC Nightly News report that, you know, basically mentions that Republicans are against gun control, but they support hardening schools or something like that. When you actually watch what these events entail, um, you can see that that doesn't really reflect the reality of what's going on. And so, you know, that can present kind of a dangerous, uh, distorted view of things to viewers who might not understand necessarily what they're voting for if they just get their information from places like the ABC Nightly News or just reading, you know, blog posts online that don't actually truly convey what's going on there. I mean, that's been sort of a theme. I mean, it was definitely one of the founding principles of Daily Coast, right, was that the media was not properly representing the threat of the Republican Party. I even wrote a book called American Taliban, where I compared the Islamic Taliban to Christian right wing Republicans. And I was attacked by my own side, by liberals attacked me for being unfair to conservatives. And all this is not playing out exactly as I wrote about, because this is. I mean, those of us who are immersed in in, you know, these these uh, sort of partisan waters and are paying attention to what conservatives are saying and you more than most, you, you understand that threat and it's real. I'm curious the you know, you say um, talking about the the um, indictment that the media circus, it obviously it existed and a lot of it was justified. Um, it didn't it wasn't as bad as you feared it might get, you know, that returned to 2016. Uh, and I actually totally agree with that. They were quick to cut. They're quicker to cut out from Trump rallies now. They'll give it a couple mm -hmm. of minutes. And if it's just the same crap, they'll, they'll cut it out. What are you seeing on the Fox News side, however? Well, the funny thing is, is that even when Trump was president, uh, Fox wasn't really covering his rallies because the truth of it is that they were bad for ratings. I mean, Fox figured out pretty early on that an original episode of Tucker Carlson was doing much better ratings than Trump ranting and raving for 90 minutes. And so they would do that thing that they sometimes do where they would have like Tucker doing a show and then the bottom corner would say monitoring the Trump rally, which they would never show any actual footage of, but they wanted people to know that they were paying attention to it. And so, um, you know, we've seen a little bit of a reconciliation. You know, there was a lot of reporting about a year ago, um, obviously following the Dominion lawsuit, which coincidentally was just settled moments before we hopped on this call. But, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, commentary and speculation about a rift between Fox and Trump. And, you know, Trump was obviously granting more interviews to Newsmax and OAN and seemed to be kind of flirting with these further right wing, less mainstream networks. But then, you know, just last week, he was on Tucker Carlson's show for the first time in a very long time doing a full hour long interview. He's been on Hannity's show recently. And so, you know, I think we can see that they're going to circle the wagons because that's what their viewers want them to do. And they're very responsive to that. Um, but even Fox doesn't really cover his rallies because oftentimes that's kind of 
bad for Trump. You know, if you're somewhat independent voter, you know, you're not necessarily drinking the the Kool-Aid and you see Trump up there ranting and raving. I don't know if that's going to, you know, enhance your perception of him. And so, um, you know, Fox covers it a lot like other outlets in that you get little sound bites here and there. Um, you know, you might get these kind of these interviews that are highly produced with Trump, but, you know, they're not covering his rallies. Um, if you want to see his rallies, rallies, you still need to tune into either Newsmax or, you know, even further fringe outlets like right side broadcasting. I mean, that's a great that's a great point, actually, that that media coverage does not benefit Trump to the point that in that interview with Tucker Carlson. No, it was a Sean Hannity interview. What was it like a couple of weeks ago where um, Sean Hannity was trying to, like, move him along. Right. As as Trump sort of confessed to crimes <laughs> and uh, wouldn't wouldn't take the hint. And so it, it's uh, I mean, I didn't see the Tucker Carlson interview, so I don't know if he confessed to more crimes, but it really is. It, it does appear that Trump's internal governor is not functioning properly. He doesn't understand when he stepped too far and uh, doesn't seem to hurt him with his with the Republican base. And, no. uh, but uh, it's definitely not doing him any favors with, with uh, party donors, his party donors, and um, sort of the overall electorate, I don't think. Yeah, you know, I think the base kind of likes the unhinged quality of Trump. And I think that's part of the reason people like going to his rallies. And, you know, you'll, you'll sometimes see reports from his rallies that people are leaving early and that sort of thing. And that's usually when he is kind of sticking to the script. Um, you know, when he gets the uh, locker up chance going or build the wall, things like, you know, send her back, you know, when he did a rally in Minnesota toward Ilhan Omar. Um, those are the things that Trump supporters tend to find entertaining and enjoy. And, uh, you know, that's when he's fascinating. Script, it's, it's more, you when, know, it, it tends to be more dull when he's on the prompter. People start filing, get, heading for the exits. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, I think, you know, maybe they just want to beat traffic. Um, who could blame them? Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, watching these rallies, his crowd is most engaged when he's kind of and he, he realizes this. I mean, he mentions this at his rallies that, hey, do you guys want me to get off script tonight? You know, that's you know, they want me to stay on the prompter. Should I uh, should I do that? And then people will boo sort of thing. And so, you know, he, he's in touch with that part of it. And um, obviously there has to be some structure to his speeches. But um, I will say that, you know, having watched pretty much all of his rallies since uh, late in the 2016 cycle, um, they are How? Pretty they're pretty repetitive. <laughs> um, they are pretty repetitive. And these days I feel less bad about missing them or watching them on delay um, because there's typically not a ton of news that stems from them. I mean, there will be clips that invariably blow up because Trump will say something as kind of an aside that is just reprehensible. And so that gets some pickup. But, you know, in terms of actual news value, um, you know, if, you, if you've seen one of these, you've kind of seen all of them at this point. Um, now, of course, you know, it'll, it'll get more interesting if DeSantis declares and there's really a primary and, you know, there's really stakes to these to these rallies that he has. But, um, you know, I've, I've commented you know frequently in the threads that I do covering these that, you know, his material is basically the same as it was in 2018. Um, as soon as he became president, I mean, a lot of the accomplishments he touted then are the same ones that he's talking about now. And, you know, they're exaggerated in the same ways, you know, uh, what, five years later. And of course, he's impervious to any sort of fact checking. So, you know, no people like me pointing out that he's lying or misstating things isn't going to change any of that. And so, yeah, I mean, the material is, is pretty tired, but um, people still turn out for it. And I think his position in terms of the 2024 primary is as strong as it's been, as, you know, DeSantis kind of crashes and burns before he's even announced his campaign. And, you know, there was reporting over the weekend that 
Nikki Haley has dramatically exaggerated her fundraising. And, um, you know, beyond DeSantis, there isn't really a viable third contender at this point. And so I think we are kind of staring down the barrel of him being the Republican nominee again. Yeah, let me just weigh in on that real quickly, because this is the stuff that I follow even more closely than like all of the Trump rallies, um, which is, you know, since the indictment, um, uh, Trump's favorables are going up. That's on that's in civics. That's in our sister organization, civics, the tracking poll. You can see the favorables of Trump going up and it's not a bouncy. The civics model is not bouncy. It doesn't just spike up and then spike back down. I mean, it's gradual, but you can see it trending upwards. Um, so and then, you know, DeSantis is trending downwards and, you know, all of the polling shows the same thing. Typically, um, you know, Haley's about nowhere. And and over the weekend, DeSantis had a real problem, not just as favorables and his polling, but they but but a huge uh, GOP donor pulled backing from him and he pulled backing from him saying he's too extreme on social issues like abortion and book censorship, you know, book banning. So so DeSantis is really in trouble. I mean, DeSantis tried to bury the news of him signing his six week abortion law last week. And he he just, you know, signed it and then didn't put out a statement about it until the dark of night mm-hmm. um, after 11 p.m. when most people were snoozers. You know what I mean? So um, so DeSantis is in real trouble. And what you have now is this whole faction of people who think there's no way that Trump can win in a general election. And of course, this isn't his MAGA base voters. This is donors and you know other party operatives who are like, holy shit. Shit, we're running the whole thing. We're rerunning the 2016 situation. They have nowhere to go and they're trying to figure out where to go. Um, so this is the dynamic we're into now. Um, for a while, the dynamic was it's going to come down to a head to head between Trump and DeSantis. And now DeSantis is tanking. And, you know, I think it's really uh, perhaps already proven he's not ready for prime time. Um, he, he built a campaign structure that was not supposed to be about making an early entry into the campaign, but instead to like go for the long haul. Right. He was going to he was going to have a campaign campaign operatives in all these different states. And he was not just banking on doing well in Iowa and then New Hampshire and then South Carolina and whatever he was going to, you know, he was going to make it for like 12 states or something like that, you know? Well, when you're, when your giant backers are pulling their, you know, withholding their money, you can't build that operation because it just it just burns money hand over fist. So anyway, that's just an overview of where we are. Like it, mm-hmm. the, the GOP field now is entering a slightly different stage, which is almost I, I don't want to say this too definitively, but it almost feels like a post DeSantis. What the hell are we going to do now? Sort of stage. Right. Right. Um, but but. I do want to. So I do want to. I want to key in on something you said, which is a lot of the a lot of the Trump rallies are reruns, mm-hmm. right? And I, what I do get the sense is, though, you know, I've I've focused. I've I've heard him deliver this. I am your retribution line. Yep. Um, they're coming oh, after yeah. us. We can't let them sort of stuff. Right. And it does seem like even though, you know, a lot of his one liners that have been popular, he's replaying those. I feel like there's a darker element to what he's selling now. And I wonder if you think that's true or you would weigh in on that. Yeah, I think that's right, actually. And I think, you know, a lot of it stems from the big lie stuff um, in the sense of, you know, he's still pushing that on the stump that the election was stolen from him. And so there's kind of this 
element of, you know, we were screwed and we need to get back at the people who screwed us. And, you know, part of this con, as he would characterize it, is obviously the indictment in Manhattan and the possible indictments that he faces, you know, federally and then also in Georgia. And so, um, you know, there were there were always ingredients of that with some of the deep state stuff, you know, which goes back to 2016. And then, you know, a big part of 2020 was campaigning against the deep state, whether that was Fauci or, you know, Mueller, people like that. But I think now the attacks are kind of more on the very foundations of democracy, you know, free and fair elections, counting votes, uh, that sort of and, thing. And obviously and that's now very, he's gonna, very dangerous. Now he's going to defund the Department of Justice and the FBI. I mean, some people, some liberals might have said, yeah, we should defund the FBI. But no one's saying we should defund the Department of Justice, except for Trump and like, and now uh, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. You know I mean? Yeah, and that was, and just today I saw that uh, Mitch McConnell was asked basically point blank to weigh in on some of those comments from people like Jim Jordan. And he said something to the effect of, I don't know a single Republican who supports decreasing funding for law enforcement. And um, I don't know if there is any follow-up after that, but I mean, certainly, you know, you want to tell them just, you know, I guess they're still not reading the tweets, right? I mean, that was kind of the classic, No, yeah. just not, you know, they're not reading the true social posts, but you know, it's not just Trump. It is people like Jim Jordan, James Comer. Um, you know, they try to kind of make this distinction between law enforcement, you know, the cops that we see on the street and the higher ups at the FBI and the DOJ. And so, you know, they, they try to draw distinctions like that to sort of insulate themselves from accusations of defunding the police, essentially. But, you know, it is kind of surreal. Um, not only that, but, you know, there's also the aspect of, as you mentioned earlier, with his indictment making his approval go up among Republicans, where, you know, I think this is the only time in my life I'll say that Trey Gowdy made a good point. But Trey Gowdy was on Fox News the day that Trump uh, was arraigned, basically saying, you know, if someone would have told him 10 years ago that a Republican presidential candidate would be involved in an extramarital affair with an adult film actress and that would make that candidate's approval ratings go up, he wouldn't have believed it. Yet here we are. And so there is kind of this bizarre world, whether it's defunding the police, um, you know, whether it's extramarital affairs being kind of a badge of honor, you know, uh, being indicted, being a badge of honor uh, for the law and order party. Um, there, there is that, that sort of through the looking glass element, but, um, you know, there's also the, the dynamic where, like you said, if it's not going to be DeSantis, it's basically an ash heap after that. And so, you know, it looks like Trump is going to be, um, even though the, I was going to say the last person standing, I mean, there hasn't been much of a fight, you know, it seems like Trump basically no. said a few, a few mean things about DeSantis. And I don't know if DeSantis' strategy was basically, you know, as, as you kind of characterize it to sort of make a late entry and, um, and maybe he just didn't anticipate that Trump would go negative on him as quickly as he did. But if that's the case, then that was certainly very naive, because if you paid attention to Trump's 2016 campaign, I mean, of course, he was going to go negative right away. And then the one time DeSantis did try to go somewhat negative on Trump at a press conference where he just alluded to Trump having an affair with Stormy Daniels and said something to the effect of, oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. Um, you know, he walked it back so quick because it became this huge problem for him on the right where, you know, he had you had Don Jr. He had Trump himself, all of the Trump people attacking him for basically, you know, stepping out of line and attacking Trump. And, um, you know, I think that really made him look weak and looking weak with the Republican base is, you know, a death knell. Yeah, no, Trump has taught this, you know, lesson that you never back down, you double down, you, you know, you get in people's face when they attack you. And um, it's amazing that DeSantis hasn't learned that. And so I'm curious, um, as you sort of survey that right wing media, I mean, Carrie and I always thought that DeSantis was going to flame out like we, we were never particularly worried. Just his, he has no presence. You know, he wears high heels because he's too short. His voice lacks any gravitas, like all these superficial things that shouldn't matter, but do matter. And particularly in this sort of macho culture Republican Party, we're like, this guy's not going to he's just not he looks good on paper. He's sufficient 
sufficiently cruel uh, for the Republican base, but he just doesn't have that presence. No, I don't think Carrie. I don't think we thought it was going to flame out this fast. <laughs> we thought there would be <laughs> some fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm curious. How do you see him treated by these right wing media outlets? Had, had, had they been part of the undermining effort, or, I mean, are they neutral well, arbiters? Oh, like- so that was really an interesting thing with the Trump uh, Hannity interview that you brought up earlier from a few weeks ago. Where and I, you know, I flagged this in my newsletter as well. That one of the things that really stuck out to me, because of course Hannity has perfected this over eight years, where Hannity is the master of interviewing Trump, you know, time after time, hour after hour, and never making news because it's treated more like a he's more of like a PR person for Trump rather than like an actual journalist who pushes back and asks questions that generate news. You know, it's a lot of you know, tell me how you thought about this, then Trump rants for fifteen minutes, and they go to commercial, and you know, that's it. Can but I just one- say? Yeah, go it's ahead. a real it's a real skill to be able to inter Trump o- interview Trump over and over again and manage not to make news. Yeah, I mean, well, like, you got to work at that shit. I mean, the reason crazy. that that's burned into my mind is because in 2016, I was at Think Progress and Judd Legum did a post, which I remember, you know, because it was a big hit on the site and it's still available. A lot of Think Progress's archives are no longer on the Internet, but this post still lives on about how Hannity at that point had already mastered. I think the headline is something like Hannity has mastered the practice of interviewing Trump and never making news or something how Hannity mastered this. And, you know, it still holds true today, eight years later. But the one thing that was interesting that really stuck out to me from not necessarily a content standpoint, standpoint, but more of a structural standpoint was that there was a part of the interview where Trump really went in on DeSantis um, and was attacking him for wanting to cut Social Security and Medicare, which, you know, there's some irony to that, of course, as well, because Trump has embraced that himself at various points. But, you know, was attacking him for that and for other things. And there was no pushback from Hannity. They just kind of let him attack DeSantis. And Fox has been a leading you know, pusher of DeSantis, whether it's Brian Kilmeade doing the kind of cult of personality interviews where they're playing baseball together, or, you know, DeSantis has done a, a lot of softball interviews, both on Hannity show and on Tucker show. But that to me kind of marked a little bit of a subtle turning point where, you know, here's Trump attacking this guy, which if any other Republican was doing that, you know, Hannity wouldn't let that stand, but it was okay because Trump was doing it. And so, um, you know, today uh, DeSantis was getting a lot of coverage on Fox over his feud with Disney, um, that press conference he did yesterday, basically threatening further legislation to punish. Positive? Is it positive coverage? Sort of neutral, um, you know, positive ish, because obviously Fox is very invested in the, the fight against wokeness, as they put it. And so that's part of that, you know, and so there, it certainly wasn't critical. Um, and the fact that they were talking about it, I think, is meant to kind of portray DeSantis positively. So I don't think they've totally pulled the plug on that. Um, but, you isn't know, certainly. That, isn't that the press conference where DeSantis was like, I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we could build a, cri- a prison across yes. the street. I mean, this is the type of stuff they're saying. This is the Republican yeah. Party, right? Like we're, we've, we're so far, we're on the losing end of this battle royale with Mickey Mouse. And you know what we might just do is build a, you know, a penitentiary on the other side of the street. And then we'll see if the if the, you know. Parents bring their kids to our state. I mean, like, isn't that, yeah. am I wrong? Is that what no, happened? You're, you're absolutely right. And I think that even Trump recognizes that this kind of looks bad for DeSantis. I mean, he had, which I, you know, I, I, I sometimes feel bad amplifying Trump's true social posts because you don't want to do that uncritically. But he did have one attacking DeSantis today over the, the fight with Disney and basically saying Disney is winning this, which like, you know, I think my <laughs> caption is something like, you know, the, the, the worst person, you know, dot uh, JPEG or whatever, because, you know, it, it reminded me of that Onion article about the, the worst person, you know, making a great point. But um, 
you know, so there's kind of, yes, he is still getting that sort of coverage, but it's like he's become kind of this punchline already. And, you know, whether it's the the attack ad that Trump is running about him eating pudding with his fingers or, um, you know, it, it, there's kind of this uh, clownishness to DeSantis um, that I think is going to be really hard for him to overcome. And, you know, Trump already has basically the 30 percent of the Republican base that are, that are basically cult members of his already. And DeSantis does not have that built in. And um, I always thought that his best argument would have been something along the lines of I'm a proven winner. I won by 20 percent. You know, last November, Trump is a loser who tried to overthrow democracy because he couldn't handle it sort of thing. But he's clearly scared to go there. And so what you know, what, what is his case at that point? And um, certainly, you know, he's really kind of leading the fight in these culture wars down in Florida. And, you know, that's popular with Republicans, but I think beyond that, I mean, they just still just love Trump. And so if you're running to uh, supplant Trump, but Trump is running and you can't really draw a distinction with him, I don't really know what your case is at that point. And he seems fearful of making kind of the nuclear argument, so to speak, which would be this guy's a loser. And so I don't want to totally write him off because, you know, we are what, like nine, 10 months away from votes actually being cast. A lot can change. I mean, we're going to have Trump's going to have a lot of legal problems this year. He already does have some and he's going to probably have more, it seems like. And so, um, you know, but you're also on the same time as I say that, I mean, as you mentioned, he was indicted and his polling went up. He was raided by the FBI. His polling went up. So he is he is effectively conditioned the Republican base to view all of these different investigations as witch hunts and as persecutions of him. And I don't see that changing. Um, but, you know, I mean, if he's indicted three times over running for president, um, it, it puts them in a really tough spot because we've already kind of touched on this. But, you know, that might be enough to win a primary. But how is that going to look in a general election campaign? And so, yeah, um, so let me yeah. let me ask you about that. Right. Because yeah. we've long talked about the, the conservative media bubble. Right. And and it, it's kind of amazing. And this has been a long running theme of our show, Carrie, and is that. Um, the Republicans lost 18, 20, and 22 election cycles. They are getting hammered on um, abortion. They're getting hammered on just basic democracy issues, which are, you know, basically tied around Donald Trump. Issue by issue, you just go down the list, right? They are absolutely on the wrong side of those issues. Is there any sense in that conservative media that you consume that there's, there's an understanding that they're losing the battle for public opinion? Even the woke stuff, the the Beer can't stop. People are laughing at them. And yet they seem to think that this is serious politics. Not as much as you might think. I mean, I, you know, if, if you watch a lot of Fox, it's still, you know, the fight against wokeness is like, you know, a block of almost every show every day. And so, you know, people eat that up. I don't know if it's good for ratings or if that's kind of truly where their hearts and minds are at. But there's not a lot of self-awareness about that. I mean, I, I still kind of think that, um, you know, a lot of the coverage on Fox is, is primarily geared towards making Biden look like a buffoon and making Democrats look extreme. And so um, there isn't a lot of introspection. That's kind of always been the thing with Fox, though, right? I mean, you know, even when Trump was president, they would have a lot of Trump officials on there, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, talk about um, fissures within the Republican Party. It was a lot of firing at Democrats. Um, and that still is so, the case. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't sense that there's a lot of self-awareness in the sense of that there's they're aware that these issues, these positions are hurting them. It's still kind of, you know, focused on the, you know, the next day, the next news cycle sort of thing. So how, sorry, wait. Carrie, let me one really quick follow up. How do they no. explain? OK, <laughs> how do they explain things like losing the Wisconsin Supreme Court um, justice race? You would be shocked by a lot. By a you, lot. Would be, you would be shocked at how little coverage that got on Fox. It's like not That's even right. talked about. Um, That's right. And they're, they're very good at that. I mean, you know, there's kind of this perception. I think people like, you know, 
me and you where we're news consumers, you know, we work in media. And so this is a big story. You got to cover it. I mean, Fox is very good at ignoring, ignoring stories that are bad for politicians that they are supporting in one form or another. And so I can't even remember seeing any coverage. I mean, not, not that I'm watching every second of Fox and you're actually kind of planting the seed where that would be interesting to pull some of the transcripts and do, you know, it's always interesting to do the comparisons of how many times Wisconsin came up versus Bud Light or something like that. I'm sure you would find that Bud Light was talked about 10 times more than the Wisconsin <laughs> Supreme Court races. So they yeah, just ignore it. <laughs> and in other news. No. Okay. So, <laughs> so let me just say, so let me, um, let me see if I can wrap up a little bit where we were and just segue into something real quick before uh, we have to let you go. Cause we, we promised we wouldn't keep you too long, but here we are. We're running into 40 minutes. Sorry, Aaron. That's just, oh, no, that's fine. Here. <laughs> my, uh, my brother is picking my daughter up from daycare. That was my, oh, my heart out. Oh, so I, I'm, I'm good for, you know, at least another 20, 30 minutes here. So finally a good use for siblings, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> Shout out to Chris. If he sees this later. Yeah. He's in the car. So, right now. Okay. So, so of course, Fox, I mean, the, all they're doing is building viewers. They want more viewers. They don't want to upset viewers with news like Wisconsin, right? They, they just, that's why they just do so little coverage of it. Um, and, and they don't want to upset view, viewers with news that uh, maybe all this stuff is like, is not going so this, these politics of wokeism, by the way, I saw, um, I just covered today a, a focus group of swing voters Trump in 2016, Biden in 2020, swing voters, uh, two focus groups in Pennsylvania, must get battleground, right? And they were like not hot on the anti-wokeism. Like even there were like five, you know, different policies that they that they pushed um, and they they showed them to these voters. And these voters were like, yeah, I mean, maybe I agree with one or two of them. And some of them just thought they were all bullshit. But like they didn't say they were all like this. This just seems far, far right to me they're you know catering to a very specific audience all this stuff so like the wokeism isn't doing anything for swing voters okay it it shows in the polling it shows in the focus groups but back to the republican field it seems to me that i mean i don't want to i I am not going to give an ultimate prediction like this is the way it's going to be ever about what's going to happen because we are in such a historical times who the hell knows right but um, I do think DeSantis has proved a couple times he's not ready for prime time. Um, he he his whole uh, you know bent was I am basically Trump without the baggage, but they never that was step A of getting his name recognition and his likability up. They never had a plan for when he was going to have to confront Trump, and that's why he did so poorly when he did it, and they backed away from it, and now they've got nowhere to go. Um, I, I, I suspect that if anyone um, is going to have a chance at Trump, a couple of things are going to happen. The It's not after the first and Indictment. It's after like four indictments. Once we're four indictments in or something like that, three or four indictments in, all these people are like, we're not going to let him do that to our times. guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, historical times. All those people who are not like rallying great. around Trump are going to be like, we're screwed. I mean, there was a there was a real there was a real, um, you know, group of people considering DeSantis for the mere fact that they didn't think that uh Trump could win the 2024 election, general election. And they liked Trump, but they just didn't think he could win it. So they were looking elsewhere. Now they're all back to rallying around him. And then there's got to be that nagging, you know, point at some point in the in the background that says, listen, 
about three months ago, I thought this guy was going to lose the general election. And now that he's got four indictments, I kind of think I might have been right about that. Right now, that's not going to be the whole MAGA base. That's just going to be the group of people that were kind of shopping around for alternative. And those people will eventually, I think, be back in the market. I'm, I'm envisioning a scenario where they might where the Republican Party might be able to take on Trump now. Right. I think the only person who has a chance at it, it's someone is someone who like brings a slightly uh, different message or style. OK, so. Tim Scott from South Carolina, Senator Tim Scott, you know, maybe someone like him who is, um, you know, who who is very conservative, but has sort of a positive biographical story. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, may, maybe I don't think Nikki Haley's it, but like maybe someone like Chris Sununu. I've, I actually think Brian Kemp would have a chance, but he's sort of ruled out. You know, he's trying to raise his national profile, but ruled out running in 2024. But like, Chris look, Christie's coming out swinging at Trump. Yeah, so if Chris anybody's going right. to be he's the, one asshole going the, after the other. Right, exactly. One a-hole taking down the other a-hole. I mean, that's the thing, though. If you get a Chris, Chris Christie's not going to win it. I just really don't think that's true. But if Chris Christie gets in it and starts, you know, trying to like to get some body blows because he doesn't have a fuck to give right he if he gets in it and starts doing that and then and then you know trump's got four indictments against him and then you know it's gonna it's like a pile on right not not one of them can take on trump it's got to be like the whole apparatus coming in not just the anti-establishment it's like the whole apparatus right and then someone like tim scott emerges but the problem and you know where i'm going yeah yeah um the problem is, is that even if in a general election, like in a general election, even if Tim Scott, like a more positive type guy gets on there, he still has to deal with Trumpism and the Republican Party and how crazy it's gotten, the extremism. And so what, what we saw, and this is a clip you flagged, and I want to I want to um, just give a quick intro to it. But Tim Scott goes to New Hampshire and he's making kind of his first visit there after announcing that he was going to have um, going to do an expl- a presidential exploratory. And committee. by the way, I don't think we mentioned it. He's he's South Carolina senator, uh, Republican yeah. senator. Yeah, right. Exactly. So um, we did this. So he goes on this first trip to New Hampshire and he gets asked about it was the day after uh, um, DeSantis had buried that news about signing the six week uh, abortion ban, which is extremely unpopular. I mean, just so everybody knows, I know, you do, you know, some some people don't think about that. Most women do, especially, you know, women of childbearing age. But um, but some men maybe don't think about this. It's six weeks is basically like a total abortion ban. I mean, most people don't know they're pregnant at six weeks. So if you ban abortion to six weeks, it, it's like a total abortion ban, essentially. OK, so anyway, so he so uh, he gets asked about what how he feels about a national abortion ban. OK, and before we queue up and, and run this, I just want to say he went through a total evolution uh, over 24 hours of what he was talking about in terms of the national abortion ban and the decisions that and 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 what he was going to back, whether it was going to be 12 weeks, 15 weeks, 20 weeks, whether he, the state should take care of it or it should be a federal ban, blah, blah, blah. But you get just a just a, a little insight into how difficult that was for him by the by the excessively wide pivot he tries to make from the national abortion ban to Janet Yellen in this clip. 
Yes, sir. Would you support a federal ban on abortions? I would simply say that um, the fact of the matter is when you look at the issue of abortion, one of the challenges that we have, we continue to go to the most restrictive conversations without broadening the scope and taking a look at the fact that I'm 100% pro-life. I never walk away from that. But the truth of the matter is that when you look at the issues on abortion, I start with the very important conversation I had in a banking hearing when I was sitting in my office and listening to Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, talk about increasing the labor force participation rate for African-American women who are in poverty by having abortions. Uh, I think we're just having the wrong conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we're having the wrong conversation. To give you a little behind the scenes here on that, um, <laughs> this happens, this actually happens more often than you would think where um, I was watching that on Newsmax and the, the reporter who asked the question that led to that comment was a Newsmax reporter. So that, that was part of the reason that they, they uh, broadcast that part of his media scrum. But as I'm posting that, I mean, you know, the caption, I think I think I, my caption was something effective. This is quite the epic word salad from Tim Scott or something on a national abortion ban. Well, I'm posting this like not really thinking that it's going to blow up, you know, and then I actually had to kind of watch it a couple more times where I realized and then I transcribed what he said, like just how absurd what he was trying to say, how non nonsensical it was. But I wish I would have clipped it a little bit longer because then I got a lot of replies that were kind of like, well, what was what was the rest of what he said? And he really that was the meat of the clip. He kind of just pivoted to other, you know, he, he basically kind of stopped what he was saying. And then someone else asked him a question. That was the end of it. But had I known that that was going to do, you know, many hundreds of thousands of views, might even be over a million views at this point. Um, well, I would have I mean, it differently. So anyway, he makes a good point that the real conversation about, about abortion is Janet Yellen. That, I mean, that's a fantastic, <laughs> excellent point. I'm sure it's a political winner. He's probably gotten so many votes. Swing suburban voters are like, whoa, we got to give this guy a second look because I, the abortion I, discussion I, is about Janet Yellen. Yeah. Well, I actually, he, I, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I actually think he made kind of a good point there. It wasn't the one he meant, but we're just having the wrong conversation, and that's true. The Republican Party is just having the wrong conversation about abortion, <laughs> and it's, they're really in a lot of trouble over it. And he spent twenty four hours trying to clean up a mess, and he still doesn't know where he's on abortion, on a national abortion ban, or anything else. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. I've always kind of felt like there's a way for like I'm very you know, pro-choice. And um, but I think there's a way for Republicans to talk about this that doesn't tie themselves into knots like that, where would it be, is it really impossible for him just to just say, I am pro-life. I believe that, you know, at conception, that's a human being. And, um, you know, there'd be a way to talk about, talk about like a 15 week ban, I think, which is what he co-sponsored with Lindsey Graham. Um, that wouldn't be so absurd and kind of, you know, just ridiculous. And the fact that, um, you know, for whatever reason, Republicans can't get there. Um, you know, it just does so much damage. It's such a self-inflicted wound for them. I mean, granted, the policy itself but, that they're that they're embracing is terrible. I don't want to, you know, but, but, completely but Aaron, yeah. that that conversation that you've been watching for the last decade has been very explicit that abortion is murder. So how can you then come in and say, you know what, 20 weeks is fine. Murder up to 20 weeks is fine. Sure. They have boxed themselves into that corner. It's this bubble of theirs have created the conditions that they can now not escape. Let me let me throw let me throw one other uh, and we got we got to wrap up soon here, Carrie. So oh god, so. no. Okay, I've got six minutes of material. I got six minutes of material. I've practiced it. I've waited for now, and, and Aaron's going to have he's going to have thirty seconds to sign well, off. You're okay, immersed. So. You're immersed in this stuff, so I'm actually very curious to you know yeah. what your research well, and here, the poll here, you do. Here's is, yeah. the, 
Right. Here's the problem. I, I think one of the reasons he can't do that is because he has to win the primary. And there's a bunch of just, you know, the, the people that uh, that uh, Marcos is talking about. These are the, the grassroots activists. Abortion is murder. We can't have it. We have to ban it entirely. There should be no exceptions. Right. I'm not going to make an exception for rape or incest. We have to get it off the books entirely. Right. And that is the evangelical position. And that those are where those grassroots uh, people are at they are high propensity voters and in order to win the um the je- i mean sorry the primary you have to have them then there's this group of republicans that are like holy shit the polling on this is killing us we're never going to get out of this trap and even some of these abortion or you know pro life organizations are i mean what you're suggesting right the way it could be talked about is perhaps reasonable, even if you don't agree with it. There's no room for re- for reasonableness in this Republican Party. And these these other gr- these groups that are looking at the polling and have been pro-life and pushing a national abortion ban for a long time are now starting to moderate and say, hey, you know, maybe we could make a 15 week abortion ban acceptable. The problem is, is that they're not going to convince the crazy grassroots that that's going to be acceptable. Yeah. So there so there isn't murder. one audience right they're you don't really compromise on murder yes but the one person who yeah. gets away with this is trump you know where i mean he if he came out and started yeah, i wouldn't be surprised if he posts something you know soon on, on true social attacking desantis for the six-week ban i mean he said as much you know that abortion is killing mm-hmm. republicans and um for whatever reason the base still loves him desantis can't get away with that tim scott can't get away with that but you know maybe it's just that that cultish aspect of trumpism where he can kind of have it both ways yeah. And, and the, the question is, can he keep that going? Like Kerry says, after the fourth indictment, or can he keep that running uh, or even through losing another presidential uh, election? It's going to be really interesting. We're out of time. OK, Aaron, can you let us know where people can find you? Sure. I'm at A.T. Rupar on Twitter. If you want to listen to my podcast and please subscribe, if you are so inclined, it's the Aaron Rupar show. And I publish a newsletter called Public Notice. If you search Public Notice Aaron Rupar, you'll find it on Substack. Uh, if nothing else, I would appreciate a free subscription there, too. So uh, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so very much. Highly recommend all those sources. Aaron's been an incredible source of insight into that Republican hive mind because I don't want to go in there on my own. So Aaron gives me a little periscope so I can peek in. <laughs> He's the, the tip of the spear. Tip of the spear. <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Thank you. Karen, we got to sign up here, but um, uh, it is absolutely fascinating. And I, it is it is an incredible public service that Aaron provides by yeah. giving us that 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 um, peek into that world, because it's hard to understand conservatism without really seeing what they're talking, what they're saying to each other, how they're communicating with each other. So it's an invaluable service. So I highly recommend it. Uh, so A.T. Rupar at, at Twitter, um, his uh, new podcast, Aaron Rupar's show. And, uh, and then what was the public notice? The Substack newsletter. Highly recommend all of them. Kerry, thank you so much for being always such a great host and for this great idea for, for, for today's episode and for our guests. Really appreciate that. Thanks to Walter for producing the show. Thanks to Paul for helping behind the scenes. And thank you, the reader, visitor, viewer, uh, listener, for being part of this movement to take back our democracy, to protect our democracy from the forces of conservatism. Uh, this is a existential fight for our nation. And I'm glad you are with us hand in hand making this happen. So thanks so much. Uh, please like, follow, subscribe. Uh, let people know about the podcast. Uh, spread the word. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye.